be starting from John chapter 1, verse 1, reading to verse 13. I please have your Bibles open as we look at these verses together. That's John chapter 1, verse 1 to 13. And this is God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that as we come to your word this morning, that you would teach us what it means to respond to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Father, we pray, teach us what it means to be your adopted child. Our Father, I pray, Lord, that you would be with each of us, Father, we pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you would be teaching us and molding us uh, by the words that I speak. Uh, Father, I pray, Lord, that ultimately, though, it's not my words that are being spoken, but yours. Lord, that by your word and by your authority, you would be here amongst us. And Lord, by your spirit, changing lives. Lord, please be with us now. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, who here is familiar with the evangelistic tools, two ways to live. A few of us. It's a simple tool, isn't it? Comprising of six points that illustrate the creation, fall, and redemptive narrative. As we come to that six points in two ways to live, we are posed with a question. Will you continue to live in your rebellion? Or will you follow Jesus? Will you continue to live in your rebellion? Or will you follow Jesus? Hence the name, Two Ways to Live. Uh, here in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, in our passage today, from verse 10 to verse 13, we see that some have responded to Jesus by rejecting him. And we also see that some have responded to him by accepting him. And just as two ways to live ask for a response, John in his gospel is asking us to reflect on the response that we have made. And so the question before us is, how have you responded to the word? How have you responded to Jesus? I have three points that I'll be working from today. Our first point, the word rejected. The word rejected. 
And our second, the word received. The word received. And then our third point, the word's reward. The word's reward. Let's have a look at that first point together. Point number one, the word rejected. In verse 9, some weeks ago, we were told that the light, the word, our Lord and Savior Jesus was coming into the world. Here in verse 10, in today's passage, we are told that he has now arrived. The word was in the world. Jesus was in the world. When there is a long anticipated event and the day finally comes, how do you respond? Would there be joy? Would there be celebration? On the 21st of June, 2016, our first child, Abigail, was born. And her birth was not met with apathy or a lack of interest. When Abigail was born, there was such joy. She was our first child. She was the first grandchild of both our families. I actually remember at one point we had something like 15 people in our hospital room crammed in together. Uh, this is before COVID, of course. And everyone was cramming inside in this little room, wanting to meet this little girl, to hold her, to see her. For some, they had been waiting months to do just that. And now the birth of Abigail, as most, was an event that took nine months of waiting. And at, at the end of nine months, there was such joy. It makes you think, doesn't it? How much joy there should have been when the Messiah had come. That when Jesus took center stage, and people heard the testimony of John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here is the one whom I spoke. The one who comes after me. You would think that there would have been such joy. Such elation. That the long awaited event had finally come. But our text tells us that there were no parties. There was no celebration. What does our passage say? Well, verse 10 and 11, we are told that the world did not recognize him. We are told that his own did not receive him. The word is rejected. Jesus is rejected. Why does the world reject Jesus? Why does humanity reject and not recognize its creator? Friends, as we have looked in previous weeks, it's because of the darkness. Humanity does not recognize and so rejects the light because they have loved the darkness. When humanity looks at Jesus, they don't see the Savior. They don't see the Savior of the world. They don't see their Creator. We ask, why don't they see? Why don't they believe? 
It's because their eyes are blinded. Last week, Mark, in his children's talk, showed us that without the Holy Spirit, our eyes are blinded. We see God's word without color and without meaning. And worse than that still, without Jesus, people will see nothing. This is what humanity sees. When they hear the Christian message, they hear a story without meaning and without purpose. They hear a story about a guy who died a worthless death on a cross. And this is sad news. This is sad news. But do you know what is especially sad news? Is that Jesus' own, his people, rejected him. Look again at verse 11 with me. Verse 11 says this. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. When Jesus came and dwelt within his creation, did he go off to some distant land? Did he come here and dwell in Australia and hang out with the Aborigines? No. When Jesus came, he came to that which was his own. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 19, God tells us that the whole earth belongs to him. That every nation, every tribe belongs to God. And Paul, in his presentation earlier, reminded of us of that. And then Exodus 19 tells us that from all these nations, the nation of Israel and her people were to be God's chosen people. Israel was to be God's chosen nation, a nation that God looked after and cared for as his own beloved children. On a Sunday morning, I usually come here very early to church, around 7.30 to 8 o'clock, and I pray and I practice my sermon. At 9.45, when I come through those doors, my children will see me, and they will, what will they do? They will run to me. They will give me a big hug. And with a loud cry, they'll say, Daddy. And that's what we expect to see. That's what we expect to see. But that doesn't happen. When Jesus came to his own, when Jesus, God the Son, came to his people, there was no joy. There was rejection. His own rejected the word. The Jews handed Jesus over to Roman authorities to be nailed to a cross, to die on that cross. In Isaiah, we heard how this servant, Jesus, was raised and lifted on a cross. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, and familiar with pain, like one who people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Now the cross, the cross, it was a punishment that involved a man being stripped naked, nailed to them through his hands and through his feet, left to die by asphyxiation 
slowly suffocating to death. And they were made a spectacle of, to be seen by others and to be mocked. And the sad thing is, if we were there, we would have rejected him also. In the hymn, How Deep the Father's Love, we sing, don't we, that it was also us and our sin which led Jesus to the cross. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. Jesus, Jesus, the creator of the universe, came to his own, but his own did not recognize him. They didn't welcome him with open arms, but they rejected him and nailed him to a cross. As you look at your life, as you look at your life, Cornerstone, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Have you rejected Jesus? Or have you received and accepted his name? We come now to our second point. Point number two, the word received. Let's look now at verses 12 to 13. Verse 12 to 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Now there is a, a popular view perpetuated in our society that there are many ways that lead to heaven. On the 3rd of January in the House of Congress, Reverend Emmanuel Cleaver made his prayer in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and the God, God known by many names and many different shapes. Uh, this prayer was a reflection of dominant secular views across the Western world. That all roads, that all roads and all faiths lead to heaven. Friends, the idea that all roads lead to heaven is a satanic lie perpetuated in our society. And even some churches are buying in to this lie. That all paths lead to heaven. But that isn't what the Bible teaches us, is it? The Bible does not teach us that all roads lead to heaven. The Bible teaches us that salvation can only be found in Christ, in Him, and in Him alone. The Gospel of John wants us to know that the only way to heaven is through the Lord Jesus. There is no other way. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, salvation can only be found when one accepts Jesus. Salvation can only be found when one accepts the word. 
when one receives him and believes in his name. But our passage confronts us, doesn't it? It says we are only able to receive Christ and believe in his name when God first chooses us. When God first accepts us. Uh, We didn't choose God, but it is he who gave us the right to become his children. Not born of any work we have done, but by becoming his children by his desire alone. The topic of predestination. Uh, It's a doctrine that many Christians have a hard time grappling with. It can, be exi- it can be hard to accept that the Bible could say that we were chosen before the beginning of creation, but yet have free will. It can, be hu- it can be easy to reject predestination because it somehow takes away from our free will and raises the idea, because it raises the idea of fatalism and that everything has been predetermined and that we are just robots. Friends, the Bible is clear. We are not robots. But we do have free will. Please let me clarify that. Genesis 2.16 tells us that we were given free will to follow him. To follow God and follow his ways. But we were also free to reject him. To no longer follow him. Thousands of years later, do we still have free will? Yes, you and I have free will. However, since the fall, can I say that we have changed? Humanity has changed. Uh, We are not like our first parents, who had the ability to choose God, but also the ability to reject Him. Our first parents were not dead, but were living. They were not born into sin. But we are. Since the fall, we were born into sin. We were born into spiritual darkness. In this darkness, friends, we are not able to live for God. In us, there is no spiritual goodness. Just spiritual death. Ephesians 2 reminds us that we are naturally dead in sin and trespasses. Our salvation does not rest in anything we have done so that no one can boast, but rests in the work of Christ alone. This means, friends, without Christ, we are only able to choose sin. Without Christ, we are never able to to choose God. Uh, Let me illustrate it like this. Uh, Two weeks ago, my family and I, uh, we went to Taronga Zoo. Uh, We were up in Sydney for my graduation. And while we were in Sydney, we saw the tigers. Now the tigers are given a lot of space to roam around, to hide and to play. And some days, if you look hard enough, you still won't be able to see them. Uh, In this enclosure, they were free to do whatever they wanted. But their actions were regulated by being in the enclosure 
these tigers, they weren't free to leave. And they couldn't leave unless someone released them. It's the same in our fallen state. We can do whatever we want inside our enclosure. This is why we are told that humanity will be held completely responsible for our actions, for our sins. We'll be held to account before God for what we have said and what we have done. In our enclosure, friends, we can do whatever we want as we dwell in spiritual darkness. But we can't escape. We can't escape our fallen state unless someone takes us out of the enclosure. We can't choose God, respond to him in faith, unless he first reveals himself to us. Unless he first shines the light of the Lord Jesus in our lives, and by his mighty hand and outstretched arm, bring us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Irresistible grace, or as R.C. Sproul would refer to it as, effectual grace. As it is the grace of God that affects us in the way that he intends. That the grace of God changes us and changes us radically. The idea is that this grace is so powerful that it overwhelms our natural compulsion to live in this enclosure. An enclosure filled with darkness. And God's grace overwhelms us in this reborn desire to dwell in Jesus' magnificent light. Friends, it's by God's grace that our stony hearts have been replaced with hearts of flesh. And the word is received only when we are first chosen by God. Please have a look again with me at our text. Verse 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Our text is saying that we do not become Christians just because of natural descent. John is saying, just because you were a child of Abraham doesn't mean that you would be a follower of God. Uh, if you have time later, I encourage you to look at the exchange between Jesus and the Jews in John, 8, um, chap John chapter 8, verse 34 to 44. If you're taking notes, that's John 8, verse 34 to 44. And in this section... Jesus confronts the Jews and says to them, they are not children of God. They are not children of Abraham. He tells them, you are children of the devil. Our friends, Christians are not born of natural descent. But Christians are born of God. Again, Christians are not born of their own desires. We cannot choose God. Uh, yes, we have free will, but in our free will, we are not able to choose God. We are trapped in an enclosure. We are born into spiritual darkness. And by our own means, we cannot enter the light. It is only by the grace of God that we can come into this light. 
We cannot come to the light by our own desire. We can only come to the light when God himself first makes us a child of God. And verse 13 also affirms that it is not by the will of a husband, the desires of a spouse, that will make someone a Christian. If marriage made non-Christians Christians, then the Apostle Paul would have not warned us against being unequally yoked with a non-believer. But he would have encouraged it. Our friends, marriage does not make Christians. A Christian should never flirt to convert. Marriage doesn't make Christians. God makes Christians. It is by God's grace, by his light, that people are made children of God. So how do you, how do you know, you who are sitting here, if you are a child of God? Well, you are a child of God when you have received Jesus. You haven't liked the world, like those unbelieving Jews, You haven't rejected Jesus, but you have received him. And what does it mean to receive him? It means believing in his name, believing in who Jesus is, that he is God, that he is our creator, that he is the one who sustains creation. You believe that he came to reconcile a fallen humanity by giving life. He came to reconcile a fallen humanity by defeating the darkness. You believe that Jesus lived the sinless life that you could not. You believe that Jesus, upon the cross, bore your sins and paid your punishment, that he died the death for you. Friends, you believe that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that you have been united to Christ. And you have been made a child of God. A child of God, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but a child of God, born of God. You are a child of God when you have received him and believed in his name. Have you done that? Have we done that? Cornerstone, have we done that? Those that receive him and believe in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. But what does it mean to be a child of God? Well, this leads us to our third point. Point number three the words reward. Uh, Listen to the beautiful words of the Westminster Confession of Faith and what it says on adoption. And I'll be reading from the modern version. It says, All those who are justified, God graciously guarantees to make partakers of the grace of adoption in and for his only son, Jesus Christ. By this act, they are taken into the number of God's children, and enjoy the liberties and privileges of that that relationship. 
They are given his name. They receive the spirit of adoption. They have access to the throne of grace with boldness. And they are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. Like a father, God has compassion on, protects, provides for, and chastens them. They, they will never be cast off, but are sealed to the day of redemption and will inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Uh, the confession summarizes well what it means to be an adopted child of God. And I want to flesh out what it says through a variety of passages from the Apostle John. The writers of the Westminster Confession of, of Faith say that as children of God, we enjoy the liberties and privileges of being his children, that we are given his name, are no longer a child of wrath, but now a child of God. In Christ, we have received the spirit of adoption. As God's beloved children, by his spirit, we are comforted, we are taught, and we are corrected. John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John 15, 26, Jesus says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And Jesus says in John 16, verse 7 to 16, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will, provide the world, he will prove to the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will, will receive from me what he will make known to you. Friends, in the resurrection of Jesus, we are adopted and given the Holy Spirit. And as God's adopted children, we are given new life. No longer a child of wrath, but a child of God. No longer under condemnation. John says, whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. Through Jesus, we are no longer condemned. Our sins are forgiven. And because our sins are forgiven, we can come before the Father without any fear. We can cry out to Him, Abba, Father. As a child of God, we are protected and provided for. We are His. The power of sin no longer has control over us. John 10, 27 to 29, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Brothers and sisters, as a child of God, we are no longer in the hands of Satan. We are no longer a child of wrath. But we are in the safe hands of the Lord Jesus. He has destroyed the power of sin. And in Jesus' hands, the devil's lies, his sheep have no power over them. We are no longer in spiritual darkness. We are no longer at the mercy of sin, controlled by that enclosure, controlled by that environment. But we have been set free. As a child of God, we are protected and provided for, guided and taught comforted and loved. We are able to live for God having been adopted and given His Spirit. And you and I await our full adoption, the gift of eternal life, where one day we'll be able to stand before the Father without any fear, without any condemnation, where He will wipe every tear from our eyes. And that sin will be fully dealt with. This is the hope that has been secured for us in the work of our Lord Jesus. It is the gift of eternal life. So brothers and sisters, how should we respond then to our Lord Jesus, who has given us this great reward? Well, I want to suggest three things. Three points of application. First, find comfort in the Savior. Find comfort in the Savior. Second, pray to the Savior for his ongoing provision. Pray to the Savior for his ongoing provision. And then third, give praise to the Savior for the gifts he has given you. Give praise to the Savior for the gifts he has given you. So that first point of application, find comfort in Jesus that he has taken you out of darkness and has transferred you into the kingdom of light. Friends, when we are battling with sin, when we are dealing with the effects of living in a fallen world, look to Jesus, that he has dealt with the punishment of your sin upon the cross. Remind yourself that you are a child of God, adopted in the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Second, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and ask that he will equip you to deal with sin. The power of sin no longer has control because he has given you his spirit. Remind yourself, friends, that you are a child of God and adopted, given his Holy Spirit. So pray, friends, pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to teach you, to comfort you, and to help you overcome your sin. And then third, look to Jesus and find comfort and hope that he has attained for you. The hope that has been secured for you, stored up in heaven, eternal life. Remind yourself that you are a child of God, adopted and given eternal life. And so knowing that, friends, give praise to your heavenly Father for what he has given you in the Lord Jesus. Friends, when dealing with the effects of the fallen world, claim these promises. Claim these promises. Claim the reward that he has given us through his death and his resurrection. Let's pray.
our Lord Jesus. Uh, we thank you that by your grace you have taken us out of darkness and transferred us into your kingdom of light. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we still live in a fallen world, that when the darkness is before us, that we would claim these promises, that we would remind ourselves that we are a child of God, that we would pray that your spirit will continue to help us in our times of trouble, and that we would continue to praise you and fix our eyes to the hope that we have. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the work you have done for us and how you have saved us. To you be all the glory and praise. Amen. Let's be seated.